Hello, welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion Podcast, a fantasy football podcast from Sharp Football Analysis. I am Dan Pizzuta. I am a writer and editor at Sharp Football Analysis, and I am joined here by Rich Rebar, our fantasy writer at Sharp Football Analysis. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what is going on? This is our first show together. Uh, you and I have never done any podcasts together, so it's going to be fun to develop a relationship. And, you know, I'm surprised you uh, still wanted to do this with me after you've been, you know, editing my work for a year. I'm surprised you're not tired of hearing my takes and you want to double down on these. I will say um, the worksheet was not something I was prepared for the first week. I'm not sure if it was something I was still prepared for by week 17, but uh, it is... Uh, it's an amazing piece of work. Uh, I'm happy that I get to uh, work with you with all your written work and now through a podcast. Um, so that's going to be you know, just really fun to do. And what we're going to do is we're going to be diving into a lot of Rich's expertise here. This is a fantasy football podcast. Um, I am not much of a fantasy football expert uh, that will be made abundantly clear uh, probably whenever I talk on this podcast. Um, so what I'm going to be doing is probably keeping the conversation going rich is going to be giving us uh, a lot of his expert opinion uh so uh, rich what uh can people probably expect from this podcast just to give them a quick overview yeah, don't sell yourself short. If you're ready to dance work, he absolutely knows what he's talking about. Uh, just because he hasn't fully delved into the fantasy world doesn't mean that he, he doesn't have great, genuinely good football takes. But generally, just the goal here is just to cover, you know, any and all things fantasy related, you know, from a top down, uh, large view scale of fantasy football questions, strategies, you know, ways to tackle how and why to play the game, and then all the way down to individual player analysis and specific uh, realms of where the NFL is currently. And that's kind of where we're starting, you know, with this podcast starting this week, there's a big NFL event on Thursday night. Uh, and, you know, it's not in Las Vegas. It's going to be a bunch of old NFL cronies gather around these laptops that they probably never used at home because they spend all their times in the facilities. So hopefully we get some gems. Uh, you know, I don't want to double down on Dave Gettleman because that's, that's technically your guy. Uh, you know, oh, no, let's not start the podcast off like that. <laughs> but ho hopefully we get some some snafus, uh, you know, some technical technological, you know, snafus from some of these coaches. Uh, so it'll make it light, light and fun. And everyone can relate to that. Being as someone that operates at the mercy of technology fully, uh, you have to deal with some things sometimes that don't go your way. So it'd be fun to see something like that happen during the draft. Right. And th this is not a video podcast yet. So you all can't see the giant binder I have uh, on top of my desk that I've been prepping for this podcast with. Um, but uh, it puts Gettleman's to shame. Um, so with that said, NFL Draft is coming up. It is this week. Um, so we are going to dive into some of our thoughts on what is going to be coming and, and how we can prepare. And Kind of like this, the name of the podcast, Pre-Snap Motion, is when, you know, offenses kind of have a cheat code and they're much better with Pre-Snap Motion. What we're hoping for with this podcast is uh, it helps prepare you for things you are going to do in fantasy. And there's been no better person doing that uh, for the past couple of weeks leading up to the draft than Rich with what he's been doing at Sharp Football Analysis. We've been putting up a lot of draft content. And one of those things has been uh, player cops. Those are huge anytime you read a scouting report. Uh, there's always someone throwing out a player comp for guys coming into the draft. So, but what Rich has done is 
take from a statistical and athletic perspective. And he did, he looked at the top 10 wide receivers and the top five running backs. So Rich, why don't you go into a little bit about what your uh, process was with these player comps, what they accomplished, and then we can get, maybe dive into those, uh, the actual player comps once we get through that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, you always see these player comps. How often do you see when these prospects come up and they're discussed? The comparison immediately goes all the way to the highest mountaintop, some extreme, something like this guy's got the body control of DeAndre Hopkins, the way he works the boundaries. I don't know if you guys remember last year when David Montgomery was coming out, ESPN had a graphic. Uh, you can Google this if you want to look for it. I it said like it was like a Frankenstein of all these player comps. It said David Montgomery had the feet of Saquon Barkley, the vision of Le'Veon Bell, the strength of Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, but you never see like these actual true objective comparables. You know, someone like David Montgomery's actual cohorts physically and production-wise come in the NFL were guys like Sean Green, Stephen Ridley, you know, Kadeem Carey. Uh, but they don't carry the same sizzle and you don't move the needle like that, uh, like those player comps like Ezekiel Elliott or Saquon Barkley do. So the goal here isn't to exactly say, like, this is what a player will become, but it's to provide kind of a sobering look at analysis in a time where thoughts run wild and always to the ceiling on a player uh, and provide further clarity from objective, you know, archetype of what the player is where similar prospects were valued by the league objectively based on, you know, their declare status, age, final season, career production, you know, all that stuff adjusted for age and physical profile. So we're just here to provide a little bit of sobering analysis because that's what fantasy football is. It's a game of, of sobering analysis. <laughs> Yes, it is. And uh, especially when you bring up like a, a Kadeem Carey, someone new, uh, dynasty uh, drafts of, of past, that is, is a name that very sobering uh, take that, that comes up. So yeah, we're, no, one, no one is immune to, uh, to being a little overhyped. Um, so let's get into this draft class and some of the comps that you had. Um, and... And let's start with the wide receiver group. This is a wide receiver group that is genuinely viewed as, as quite deep. It's been compared to 2014. Maybe we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but who were some of your, your top comps that you found and maybe some of the comps that you liked the most in this wide receiver group? Yeah, so the top of the wide receiver class, like you said, it is very good. And it's, uh, you know, something that we're looking at from a fantasy stance, especially with a lot of these guys trekked for high draft capital. Uh, so, you know, you, you look at C.D. Lamb, and he's a guy that, you know, is a bit of a tweener, but, you know, kind of, uh, you know, a little more rugged. So he's got comps that are guys like Keenan Allen and Robert Woods, you know, as top comps, guys that were really productive in college, you know, came out, and you know, a guy like Robert Woods took a little bit to get going, but, you know, he had just one of the strongest subjective profiles coming into the league. You know, guys like Jerry Judy, you know, comp to Stephon Diggs was his top comp. And because those guys are so similar in, you know, size and what they had production-wise, you know, Robert Woods even up pops up as a lower uh, end comp for, you know, a guy like Jerry Judy. Uh, one of my favorite comps, though, from this class is LaVisca Chenault. Uh, and it's one of these comps that when you think from, even from a play stance, it kind of comps, you know, uh, pretty fun. And, and people probably listening to this won't think that, but his top comp was Greg Little, you know, coming out of North Carolina. And when you think about Chenault, he's a wide receiver. He's actually, you know, he's better with the football in his hands. He's kind of built like a running back. You know, he had seven rushing touchdowns on the ground versus just 10 career receiving touchdowns. Uh, he's one of those big, one of the few bigger bodies in this class. But Greg Little was uh, running back at North Carolina that converted to wide receiver. He was a guy that had 800 rushing yards and six 
rushing touchdowns before converting to a wide receiver. Uh, he was a guy that did struggle to grasp the nuance at the NFL level, but he was taken in the second round at pick 59. That's kind of the area where we're expecting Chenault to kind of go. Uh, you know, a guy like Little, he did have over 90 targets, you know, the first three years of his career with Cleveland, but highly athletic, bigger body, converted running back. He's one of those guys that pop in and you, know, you see that name and you're just like, oh yeah, I remember Greg Little. Yeah, that was, I mean, as good as this work is, some of my favorite parts of reading all these player comps was just looking at some of the names that pop up and just being like, oh, yeah, that guy. Greg Little was definitely one of them. Uh, you got some other guy. Uh, the Austin Pettis comes up as a Denzel Mims uh, comp. Actually, the, I believe the top one. And it's a lot of guys like that, and that's kind of what – it's one of the fun things of looking at these player comps. I think if we jump into to my favorite one real quick, I think it's, it's a one a lot of people have made just by play style, and it, it works out that his statistical profile is so similar. And that's T. Higgins and Mike Williams, uh, formerly of Clemson, now of the Chargers. Um, the big body guys who can – a lot of their work is kind of done in the contested area, but they're both better at getting separation than I think they're really giving credit for. And they can work in getting downfield and using their body for body control and putting themselves into position to, to catch some passes, sometimes that are a little inaccurate. Um, you know, T. Higgins didn't have to deal with much of that with Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, uh, but that's an issue he can fix uh, with his body control. And uh, T. Higgins is a guy I like a lot. I know some people are kind of down on him, but him in the, in the Mike Williams comp, who has been an effective NFL wide receiver when he's been on the field, I, I think that was my favorite comp of uh, what you put together. Yeah, I, I like that one a lot. You, you hate when it's always a guy's when his comp comes with a guy that was like a predecessor because, you know, you don't want to bit lumped. And remember how, like, people were like, I'm not going to draft Wisconsin running back, but they, like, Monty Ball was nothing like, or, like, you know, Melvin Gordon was nothing like Monte Ball. And you, know, you always get those comps just because they went to a certain school. Ohio State receivers get that all the time, too. And it's just like, well, they're not always the same. They, they play their positions. Like, Terry McLaurin is nothing like Michael Thomas. So you always kind of hate when the comp does it. But he really does play like Mike Williams and where they win and in the, where they win uh, as wide receivers are very similar and that's the functionality they're going to provide for an NFL offense. Yeah. And he's someone that uh, when I look at kind of how much a receiver adds to their offense, uh, set up put together target yards added, it's basically how much uh, on uh, yards per target is above the NFL or the college offense when that quarterback is throwing to anyone else. I mean, it's, it's not a, you know, revolutionary statistic, but T. Higgins, uh, number one in this class, uh, in that uh, in that metric, 5.23 target yards added. So the Clemson offense was 5.23 yards better per target when he was the target than when anyone else was a target. That includes Justin Ross. That includes some other good players uh, in that Clemson offense. But uh, as you talked about uh, Wisconsin running backs, Let's maybe go there. Go to the running backs because you also did the comps for the top five. And I think um, you know, one of the more interesting uh, comps here was Jonathan Taylor, uh, who, like we said, Wisconsin running backs, he's not going to be compared to Ron Dane. Um, his top comp was Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, 
You look at Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, first from a production stance, he's nearly unmatched. You know, when you look at uh, guys like in my running back model that I've been keeping, you know, uh, since 2008, uh, three consecutive seasons with over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, all before turning 21 years old. Then he checked out physically like he was basically, you know, made in Olympus. I mean, he was 5'10", 226 pounds, 97th percentile athlete. So when you're hyper-productive and a great athlete, you know, you've got a pocket pair of bases that kind of puts him in strong company of guys like Ezekiel Elliott, a Saquon Barkley, a Trent Richardson. Uh, you know, he has that objective look of a player uh, that the league typically has valued as a first round pick. Now, will that happen? I don't know, but he has that production physical profile of a guy that if you were making a running back, this is what he'd look like. Yeah, absolutely. And he's someone that just kind of doesn't really look like the, the Wisconsin running backs of the past. And when you say you, you look at what some of those guys are, John Taylor completely different. He blew away the combine. Um, we look at a super productive uh, speed score, which is just a weight adjusted 40. I think when you look at uh, football outsiders, um, backcast, he has the highest backcast uh, projection they've ever put together, um, which includes some of those other guys like Barkley, uh, who was also just incredible. So I think you have a lot of a lot of potential there. And it's, you know, with this, the running backs, they're always going to be a conversation that we're having the pure football person in me versus, you know, the, the fantasy outlook of how much these guys are talked about. Uh, it's the complete opposite, the conversation of quarterback uh, that we'll have. So we're going to talk about running backs probably a lot more than we would if this was, you know, just a regular football podcast, but you have someone like Jonathan Taylor, who, if he steps into a, a role where he can be the starter, can take those all three downs. And he was a guy who could catch. I think he has some, you know, receiving upside there. And I think that's one of the things, especially with running back is how much opportunity uh, is going to matter with these guys once they get into the NFL. Uh, And with the receiving upside, I think possibly the guy who has that the most of kind of the top tier or one or two, depending on where you look at him, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I think what I when I was looking at his comps, I kind of liked the spectrum of the comps that he had in your piece. There were there was the James White and there was the D- Devontae Freeman. And, you know, you say Devontae Freeman right now, you don't really think of, you know, great running back, especially after he just got released by the Falcons in the season he had last year. But when he was productive, he was uh, a good running back who was able to you know, be productive, catch the ball out of the backfield. You had James White, who probably could ha- serve that role anywhere. So Clyde Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, somewhere on that, you know, James White, Devontae Freeman spectrum. I would potentially like that in the NFL, especially if he goes to a place like he's been rumored with, say, the Buccaneers, who desperately need a running back, have someone like Tom Brady, who's going to have those dump-off passes. Uh, so I think a lot of what we're going to look for in, in these running backs is, is eventually where they fit. Yeah, absolutely. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is an interesting guy just because, you know, he's, he's a unique, unique, unique build. Uh, first of all, and then he's got that wide range of skill sets, you know, so he, he's got a wide range of outcomes in terms of how an NFL coach wants to use him. Is he, is it, he's going to draft you a spot where a team views him as a complete back, kind of what Devontae Freeman turned into, or is he going to be viewed as a receiving back? Uh, you know, is a guy that caught, this is a guy that caught 55 passes in college, which is really unheard of, you know, in the college season, when you think about the, uh, how many games they play in a season, you know, and, and obviously this is what 
you know, Panthers fans had to look forward to with, you know, Joe Brady being, you know, there uh, with Christian McCaffrey, you know, a perfect marriage. Uh, but Clyde Ritzler can be an early down back. He can be a satellite back. He could be a pass receiving back. He, he has a wide range of how an NFL coach decides to use him. You would hope a team that if they're going to invest the second round pick or, um, you know, in that area of draft picks in him, uh, in taking him, that they would have a clear plan. That doesn't always happen. We see it all the time with guys like Duke Johnson and, uh, you know, other players in the NFL. But, if you know, a guy like Bruce Arians has never shied away from using a small back in, in early downs. So that would be a good fit for him as well. It just all depends, yeah, on where he lands, what type of backfield he lands into, and what kind of role he really serves into. Because he has three-down cap- capabilities. I mean, if you look, obviously the LSU offense elevated him. Uh, to a degree, especially in the run game more than a little bit than the receiving game. But he still averaged over two yards per carry compared to his non-quarterback, uh, you know, teammates, uh, which was the highest in this draft class. So he's got he's got some rushing acumen as well that just doesn't correlate strictly to being on the LSU offense, which is the greatest college football offense that we've, you know, come across so far. Uh, so he's going to be an interesting guy to see where he lands and how he's used next level because that will be a driving force as fantasy, you know, production. If he's just catching passes and not scoring touchdowns, that puts him more on the James White spectrum. But if he is used down as more of an early down player and can get some scoring opportunities, that puts him more on the Devontae Freeman spectrum. So he does have a wide range of outcomes. He's just a, a typically just a unique player uh, compared to these other top backs in this class. Yeah, and he's a guy that you, you really hope does go to – a creative offensive mind who will be able to use it. I'm looking at the uh, Sports Info Solutions rookie handbook. They had him split out wide on 21% of his snaps, which is kind of unheard of for an actual running back. That's, you know, you look at someone who's considered a running back like uh, Antonio Gibson, who was out wide like 76%, but he was someone, some consider a wide receiver, some can consider a running back. But for someone who's going to go fairly highly we don't know if it's going to be the second round there's been some rumors back end of the first round even though that might be a little high for a running back probably something we're not going to uh, endorse on this podcast uh, even a fantasy football one um so he's someone that that's super interesting and he's someone who i really look forward to what he can potentially be in the nfl uh when you're looking at the rest of these running back concerts is there one other one that stands out to you it's fun when you see some of his names. I mean, when you see J.K. Dobbins and his top comp is Bishop Sankey, you know, obviously everyone wants to kind of throw up in their mouth a little bit. But, you know, you but like it's a great question to ask what was wrong with Bishop Sankey. Was he a scout miss? Was he like a model miss? Because this is a guy that was ultra productive and early declare, was taken in, with high capital. He's the highest running back taken in his draft class. Uh, or was it the situation? So was it the player, the environment, or just, you know, a scouting miss, you know, on what went wrong with Bishop Sankey? And that's what's great when you get, like I said, a sobering look at some of these players, because uh, you get to ask and field these questions. Uh, you know, he does have some other good comps in there, you know, guys like Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones that are panning out. But it's, it's great to see when you just see this direct overlap of, you know, a player that didn't work out, everyone wants to run the other way. But there's a big difference between Bishop Sankey, the result, and Bishop Sankey, the prospect. And that's kind of what we're looking at uh, instead of these people that just look at results first and go to those high-end results when you see these player comps. Yeah, I think that's a really good point uh, to, to remember when looking at these comps that are from a you know, statistical perspective, from an athletic perspective. Um, I, I know that came up, especially for me, looking at how often Josh Doxson came up in some of these receiver profiles. Josh Doxson was the guy I loved coming out. Uh, he had great 
great production. It looked like he had skill. Uh, and then it kind of comes out that it's like the work ethic kind of just wasn't really there. And that never clicked for him at the NFL level. But Josh Doxson, the prospect and the statistical profile was fantastic. And that's what matches with some of these guys. So just because we're saying Josh Doxson is, you know, on the level, on the spectrum for some of these guys, that doesn't necessarily mean that is the result. So don't be scared off when you see some of the Doxons, the Bishop Sankeys, and, and stuff like that when you're looking at these statistical comps. Um, maybe be scared of it when, when scouts are putting that together uh, because they're thinking a little more of along those lines. But in terms of, of these that are purely stats, purely from athleticism and in how they match up, that's, that's not really what we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, it's just, it's not to say that this is what this player is going to be in the NFL. It's just kind of provide that food for thought and give you a spectrum on some other guys that were similar coming to the league. So now that we've kind of gone over the comps, why don't we go into, I think what, what a lot of people like to do, and, and maybe it's, especially in fantasy, uh, if you're in a, you know, a deep dynasty league, is kind of looking at the guys who are past that first and second tier, maybe these guys who are going to be a day three picks, um, even, you know, as early as the third round. But these guys are, are guys, a lot of, you know, the fantasy guys really look forward to. They kind of attach themselves to early. Uh, when we talk about the, you know, the Bishop Sankeys and the Josh Doxons of the world, sometimes they, they are those guys. Um, so why don't we go into some of, you know, these, these deeper guys that you like, maybe they came out well in a statistical model, or maybe they're guys that you just like. So uh, why don't we start at wide receiver? Are there a couple guys that you like who might be a little deeper, especially in this wide receiver class that's already considered quite deep? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, so the first thing I look at when you're talking about get, going down the bottom of the barrel on these prospects, the first thing I look to is for guys that might be overvalued to even where my model has them or someone else's model is really, you know, looking at collegiate special teams production. Uh, I think when you think of guys that popped last year that got drafted higher, a guy like Deontay Johnson came with a, a lot of special teams production and got, got his way onto the roster early and onto the field earlier than he may have been if he was just a straight-up wide receiver uh, and Witt wasn't able to contribute. Uh, you know, you go back to guys like Antonio Brown, and obviously that's me going to that high-end comp, you know, uh, that we just talked about. But Antonio Brown is a guy that led his receiving class in return yardage coming in and cut his teeth as a punt returner in the NFL before he got his chance to break out as a wide receiver. A guy like T.Y. Hilton led his class in – uh, return yardage when he was entering the NFL. So I definitely earmark, you know, return production. It's something that will never pop in a model because not enough guys do it. Like there's too many blanks uh, for it to really pop as clear correlation. But I definitely have found that it's significant for guys getting on the field early and getting drafted higher than they typically would have just off receive, receiving production alone. Uh, so some guys that kind of stick out there that do have some athleticism and some other attributes. Um, a guy like Joe Reed from Virginia pops right away. I mean, he's one of the few bigger bodies too in this draft class, six foot, 224 pounds, 86 percentile athleticism score. He has the most career kickoff return yards in this class, uh, over 3,000 for his career. He's got five career kick return touchdowns. Uh, like I said, big body athleticism. That's kind of what gets you, you know, kind of elevated anyways. Um, I got like John Hightower. He's an older prospect, but he's another guy that has got a lot of return production. Um, and then a guy that, um, you know, you see a Darnell Mooney get, getting all this love and draft circles because he ran that, that fast 40 time. But he doesn't have that, you know, uh, special teams profile. But there is a, another guy that ran a fast 40 that does, and it's Quez Watkins from southern Mississippi. You know, he's a slender six-foot, 
pound guy. He ran a 4-3-5-40. He had 15.1 yards per catch. He averaged 20 yards per punt return for his career. And then if you look at it from the receiving profile side, he averaged 2.69 yards per team pass attempt uh, this past season, uh, which was 12th in this class. So he's another day three wide receiver guy uh, that I believe is, you know, a guy that's going to pop uh, – and I'm going to earmark where he goes to. And you mentioned Antonio Gibson. I don't know if he makes it to day three or not, but Memphis is just putting out all these like super athletes now in the NFL all of a sudden these past two years. Uh, I mean, Anthony, Antonio Gibson, he had 1,100 yards last year on 71 touches. Like, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. And then you talk about you know, what he did per catch, you know, 19 yards per catch. He averaged 11.2 yards per carry. And his return profile, 28 yards uh, per kickoff return and 23 kickoff returns. And this is a guy that was buried behind Tony Pollard, who had seven career kick returns you know, at Memphis uh, for touchdowns. It was drafted highly, and we've seen him transition to running back in the NFL and was a productive player. So he's definitely a guy uh, that is exciting to see how he could be used in the NFL as well. Yeah, as someone whose regular season college football watching usually comes from the American, because uh, I went to Temple, so I'm watching a lot of those games, uh, the amount of guys that Memphis just puts on the field that makes you go, how, uh, is, is incredible. It was definitely like that with Pollard last year, Antonio Gibson uh, this past year. Uh, it's crazy. And as a receiver, he, he stacks up great in, in target yards added on just 56 targets. Um, that, that offense completely went through him. You mentioned Quez Watkins. He's another guy I like uh, quite a bit as, as a late-round guy. Uh, one guy who I think I'm, I'm not sure how alone I am on this hill. I haven't heard a lot of people talking about him. Um, and it's not a profile I think I would usually go to uh, is Juwan Jennings from Tennessee, not to be um, confused with Juwan Johnson from Oregon. Uh, Juwan Jennings from Tennessee. He is uh, a big slot uh, which, you know, is kind of not the profile you would go after guys who were already forced to be big slots in college. Uh, but he's a guy that I just, he moves really well. Um, he came out well uh, in target yards added. He had almost 27% of the Tennessee target share. And you just watch this guy on film. He ran a 4-7 at the combine, which is obviously not what you want either. He tested as a terrible athlete. But I think in you know, wide receiver is one of the positions that I'm not totally sure how much I care about the athleticism if you see it you know on the field I think that's one place where we can really talk about how the separation and and the the nuances of that position really come on the field instead of you know running the 40. I love that Henry Ruggs runs a, a 47. I'm very high on Henry Ruggs because of that and some of the other things he does but a 47 here is not going to scare me off. It's going to scare me off for you know, a, a running back or a bad 40 times going to scare me off or an edge rusher, but not necessarily for a four wide receiver. Juwan Jennings is a guy, I think another guy with great body control, just kind of knows how to use the defender against himself. Um, and I think he's a guy that's probably going to be there at, at the top of day three, who I think can it just instantly be put uh, in, in the slot and he's going to find a way to have production. So I, I think he is the guy I'm looking forward to. I think the most of, of those day three wide receivers uh, along with Quez Watkins, who you, you already talked about. Uh, so with that, why don't we maybe move on to running back? Uh, day three is kind of when, when the running backs are, are going to come out, especially in this NFL that has mostly figured out how to value running backs and not overvalue in the early rounds, um, which is something uh, we, we might really see take this year, which 
there's a potential that no running backs go in the first round. So maybe all the running backs we're talking about are going to be, you know, day three guys. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll see her definitely run it from that, you know, maybe like the late 20s, you know, through like, you know, pick 60. That's when we'll have maybe that pocket of the, the top guys. And then where do tiers two and three go? I think when you skip over like tier two, which, you know, it probably varies for a few people. And maybe I'll talk about some guys that are in there tier two. Uh, you know, the, the one the one guy that pops out to me is Darrington Evans from Appalachian State. Uh, you know, he was a guy that we talked about too. He's got that, you know, first he's got that return profile, uh, you know, a lot, over tw- almost 26 yards for kickoff return, three touchdowns, a big sample on 56 career kickoffs. Uh, and then, you know, he's got the production profile. I mean, 1200 yards on uh, 191 touches last year. He averaged uh, just under seven yards per touch. Uh, he's got to catch the ball in the backfield. And then he checked out athletic, athletically at the combine, you know, which a lot of these running backs kind of didn't at the combine. He did uh, improve he was a good athlete because that was a big thing. Anytime you have these smaller school guys, you know, when you're playing against the, you know, Coastal Carolinas and the Charlottes, and then you test out as being an average athlete, that kind of says something. You know, it's like, all right, well, this guy was elevated by competition, but if he's a good athlete, it's kind of like, all right, well, he was just clearly better than all these guys and, you know, you know, probably could have went up another level, but was stuck in a, a, a spot that he shouldn't have been at. So he's a guy that sticks out to me. Uh, I really like Anthony McFarland a lot. I mean, I know there's some off field, you know, kind of stuff swirling around him, but as a football player on the field, he's got a really high ceiling. I mean, he's kind of the one guy I'm like, if the Chiefs did take a guy like at pick 96, like if he ended up on the Chiefs, like how much would he blow up like running back rankings, you know, coming in, but he, cause he kind of fits their mold. He's a five, eight, two Oh eight guy, kind of a tweener, like Andy Reid kind of likes these tweeners. Um, and he's a guy that just, you know, has explosive, a lot of explosion. I mean, you know, as a redshirt freshman, he was incredible. Eight yards per touch as a redshirt freshman, uh, had some injuries. Um, he absolutely roasted Ohio State two years ago. Uh, I mean, he had 298 rushing yards against Ohio State uh, two years ago. So, I mean, against high, imp- against high caliber, you know, competition, he, he brought his best out. So he's a guy, too, if you're looking at a guy that, um, you know, if you give a runway to or like a tarmac, I mean, he's going to house. He's going to house you from like 60. Uh, and, you know, he had that 44440. Uh, you know, he's kind of one of those guys, too, I'm looking at. You know, him and Darrington Evans are kind of the guys and kind of seeing where they go more than the Zach Mosses and A.J. Dillons. Yeah, uh, and I think my guy is – I'm going to be honest, the amount of running back work I have done uh, is, is quite low. But the one guy I've had my eye on for quite a while is Eno Benjamin uh, of Arizona State. Um, he is a guy that – uh, has been able to break tackles uh, in the past. Uh, when you look at his uh, profile, uh, SIS has him down with uh, 26 tackles per 100 touches, uh, which is one of the better rates uh, in, in this class. It's not quite what he had two years ago. Uh, it's not even quite what he had last year, but he's still someone who has been able to break tackles at, at a pretty high rate. And he has someone who's been able, to, he's been able to catch some passes, which I think gives him some upside to, to see the field. Uh, early. So I think Eno Benjamin is one guy, and I think we talk about fantasy football. Uh, I'm in a, a dy- uh, developmental dynasty fantasy football league where we're drafting college players, and we have to have them on a developmental roster for two years before uh, we can bring them up to our actual, actual roster. So I drafted Eno Benjamin like three years ago at this point. So I am, I'm excited for him to, to finally get into the NFL. 
Yeah, he's another guy along that Edwards Hilaire, like, uh, you know, how does the coaching staff view him? Because he's another one of those guys, like, tweener builds. Does he just become a satellite back? Because he was a true workhorse at Arizona State. If you look at his past two seasons, 335 touches, 295 touches. Uh, if you look at uh, what he did compared to his teammates, the not, if you remove the non-quarterback, uh, remove the quarterback rushing attempts, uh, and just look at running back rushing attempts. He had 80.3% of his non-quarterback rushing attempts, uh, and then 83.6% of Arizona non-quarterback rushing yards. Both of those rates were the highest among all running backs invited to the combine this year. And then you factor on he had 18% of his team's receptions. I mean, that's a full profile, but he did come in, you know, a little tweener. He, he came in really light at the senior bowl, uh, 195 pounds, then was like 208 at the at the combine. So it just goes to show you too, like how much these guys can jump, you know, gain weight. Uh, you know, so hopefully a coach, a coaching staff views him a little more like this collegiate profile and not more as just being like a satellite back. Like, you know, I hate to keep bringing up like guys like Duke Johnson, but, uh, you know, because he's a guy that we always want. We clamor for more rushing attempts for and never get some, but, you know, Benjamin fits that same archetype. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's so much of what we, are going to find out in this draft. It's not just where these guys are going. It's really how they fit with what these offenses are, how much opportunity is there. That's something we've been going over uh, with our, our team needs. Um, this series we've been doing on our show football analysis, Rich has been going over the offense for every team. I've been going over the defense. We've been looking at just where there are needs, where there are opportunities for rookies to come in and contribute. And that's, that's one of the exciting things we're going to find out about the draft. Um, one of the other things that is exciting about this draft is going to be betting on it. Um, for, for those gamblers who are used to gambling a lot on sports, there have not been a lot of sports to gamble on, uh, but there are, the draft is coming up. You can do that now. So we are just going to do a quick hit on, on a couple of props uh, to kind of give a, a kind of pseudo preview of what we think the draft is going to look like. It's basically just going to be uh, over-unders in uh, for the positions taken in the first round. So the first one we're looking at from uh, the FanDuel Sportsbook is total quarterbacks drafted in round one. The over-under is four and a half. Rich, what do you like there? I'm actually going to go under. I'm going to say there will be four. I'm going to say that uh, one of our favorite prospects, Jalen Hurts, doesn't end up going in the first round on the Lamar Jackson plan. Maybe he will. I hope he does. Uh, but I'll say that Hurts and uh, Eason will, will be not be. They'll be the odd man out, and then someone's going to elevate Jordan Love after the victory. Yeah, I'm, I'm there too. I'm going to take the under. It, it probably should only be three. I'm not a big Justin Herbert fan, so I'm not even sure if it, <laughs> if it should be three. Um, after, after Burrow and Tua, um, yeah, Herbert's obviously probably going to go in, in the top five. I think Jordan Love probably gets into you know, the, the – I think he probably slides into the teens or the 20s uh, the more information we've gotten as – the draft has come closer. I say it probably ends at four, even though it probably should be less than that. Uh, so let's move into running backs, which we just talked about. The over-under is set at a half. Uh, Rich, what do, you, what do you like there? I'm actually going to go over here. Uh, so at least one – uh, at, at least one will be taken. I'll say two. I mean, how did this, how did the Seahawks resist Jonathan Taylor with two first round picks? He's like so much what they want to do. Uh, but since 2000, we've had just two seasons, two draft classes that didn't have a running back taken in round one. So even from the position being devalued, uh, we've still seen some NFL team 
take at least one bite out of the apple. So I'll, I'll say I'll, – I'm going to say two end up going, and they'll go after pick 20, but I'll say Swift and Taylor do get in the first round. Man, that Seahawks thing. Uh, so I've been listening to the the podcast with Pete Carroll and uh, Steve Kerr. They've been doing for The Ringer where they're just kind of talking about coaching. It's been really, really cool to listen to, just kind of them both talking about their philosophies. And it's great that Pete Carroll like acknowledged where the NFL was going, but also at the same time said, but at my heart, I'm an old school guy and just kind of listening to that. I was like, Pete, Pete, so you know, you're aware. Um, so, so who knows? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to say over, even though, again, I'd say it probably should be under. Uh, I, I could see definitely probably Jonathan Taylor sliding into, into the 20s, someone getting desperate. Um, and who knows? Maybe someone wants that fifth-year option for a running back, which might be you know, something teams are looking for when we know these running backs are not going to be good on their second contract. So maybe teams are starting to galaxy brain themselves into thinking a fifth round option for a running back is a good idea. I wouldn't be too surprised if there are some general managers in the NFL who believe that. Uh, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the over there also. Um, so we're going to move to wide receivers. That number is six and a half. What are you taking there? I'm going to take the under, uh, you know, I, I think the final number wound up being six. Uh, maybe maybe even five, but I'll say six. I think we we all know Lamb, Judy, Ruggs, and Jefferson all probably are going to go. So we got four probably for sure's. I'll say that the next two guys will be Brandon Ayuk, who's the league seems to be really high, and a guy like Daniel Jeremiah, who's typically really plugged in with the league, has him you know going in the first round. Uh, so I'll say he'll end up going. I think that what happens though is that even as as good as this class is, the depth it makes it hard uh, to say like all, a bunch of teams are going to reach up for them. The question that teams will face is like, do they invest once that top tier that we mentioned is gone when they can say, well, the next, you know, five to six guys are all on a longer tier or maybe even more than five to six guys on their board. And they say, well, I, I don't have to have wide receiver six because I have wide receiver nine graded closely to him. and He's going to go much lower. I think that's what the problem is they're going to have for the uh, wide receivers, you know, in comparison to some of these thinner positions, like maybe uh, a cornerback or edge rusher in this class. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing that's kind of gotten lost in this wide receiver conversation. Everyone says how deep that is. And we just kind of deep has meant like nine different things to nine different people. I think if you're talking about this class, I think when I view it, I think there's that clear top tier of, of those top three guys. And then I think where the depth comes in is that second tier to those potential day three guys. I don't think that, I think some people have looked at this, like why take one of lamb when you can get someone, you know, in round three, I don't think that's the case in this class. Cause I think, someone like CeeDee Lamb is a great wide receiver um, who's going to outproduce some of those other guys. But I do see it in, in that second and third tier that could potentially go into that late round. And yeah, I'm, I'm going to go under here also. I just, I can't see who that seventh is and, and feel good about it. Um, whether that's, you know, just getting to, to six, I think is, is kind of a stretch food. Ayuk or, or Mims. Uh, or you know, Tyler Johnson's been, been thrown in there. He's, he's not a guy I like in really the, the first round. I think he's one of those guys that you could probably look at and, and get a cheaper version of him later in the draft. So I, I think teams are going to be thinking of that later in the draft rather than, than those top guys. I, I don't think the top three guys are going to be pushed down because of the depth, but I think those guys in, in the second and third tier are. 
Um, so we are going to have one more. This is total offensive players. At 16 and a half, that means it will be more than half of the first round. Uh, what, what's your outlook there, Rich? Well, so far, so based on what I said so far, I think I settled on 12 skill players. Uh, I don't believe there'll be a tight end taken. So that leaves us, we need five offensive linemen to hit the over. Uh, so I think that will get there. I mean, last year there were six. There have been at least six offensive linemen have gone in the first round eight of the past 10 years. Uh, I think we're looking at what Werfs, Andrew Thomas, uh, Wills, or Locks. Beckton had like the, what the, the drug thing pop up, but I still think he goes in the first round. Um, and then we, so we just need like two or three of Austin Jackson, Joshua Jones, Ezra Cleveland to kind of get in there. So I think we're looking at a more offensive and defensive first round. I will say that the, the positions like edge and corner are thin. So maybe the, the lack of depth, you know, we see just like a run on some of those guys uh, at the top and then there goes a gap. But uh, I think based on what the answers I gave, I think I'm going to side with it being over for the offense. Yeah, I think I'm going to go there too. If we, yeah, if we just take a look at what, what we talked about, you have, you know, conservatively four quarterbacks of five wide receivers, of five offensive linemen, uh, that gets you to, to 14. So you only need three other guys uh, who are going to go. I think that's, that's probably going to be the case. Uh, it's going to be interesting at, at those positions like the edge and corner. I think you saw it last year uh, with corner. You kind of saw that run on guys once they started to panic at the top of the second round after the Giants traded up for DeAndre Baker uh, into the first round. Um, you saw that run in the second round that went uh, Byron Murphy, um, you know, Rocky Sin, uh, the Greedy Williams eventually. I think, I think we could see a potential run there and in a similar way we did last year with some of the, the top of the tier two corners. I think that probably waits till the second round. Um, and I think that might be the only position that, that would make the offensive players, they get, get pushed down. And I, I just don't see guys reaching for that corner. Everyone can use a corner, but I think that that run's going to start a little later and not really mess up the first round. I think with that, I think that's where we're going to end this first episode. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Um, you can find all our work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. That is free all offseason. I know some of you know that we had a lot of Rich's work was uh, behind a paywall during the regular season. Um, all of our our entire site, all the draft content, all of Rich's fantasy stuff. Uh, we've had some, some betting go up recently. All of our content is free all off season. Uh, find that at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can find uh, our new Twitter handle at sharpfbanalysis uh, on Twitter. Um, we have on the site, there's a draft content hub that has a whole bunch of pretty much everything we've covered um, with, with the draft. Um, right now, and it's going to continue to be filled up once we get where these prospects are going. We're going to be looking into that. A whole bunch of stuff. So thank you guys for, for joining us. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. You can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Um, Rich, we did it. One episode down. Hey, ho hopefully the first of many. It was great. You know, hopefully, uh, you know, some people come back, you know, definitely, you know, hit that subscribe button and like, like it. And then just like Dan said, hit that, hit that sharp football analysis because a lot of people haven't realized that everything was opened up. Uh, it, everything is free. So definitely head over there. All right. Thank you guys for joining us and we will talk to you again soon.